Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. Man, oh man. Thank you, worship team. Um, Guys, it is so good. Well, hold on. It is so good to see you. So good to see you. Man, three weeks of being away has felt like an absolute lifetime, absolute lifetime. I want you to do me a favor real quick. We have a pretty shallow night tonight because it's spring break. Hallelujah. Okay, so this is what I want you to do. If you are behind the front of the sound booth, I want you to come forward. I want you to find a new seat, okay? So if you're behind the front of the sound booth, I want you to come forward, find a new seat. There's a lot over here. There's a lot over here. Thank you, Miss Catherine. Uh, go ahead and come forward. I want to see you. Uh, I have my glasses on tonight. So if, if you're sitting in the back, I actually can't see if you're sitting in the back. Um, for those of you who I have not had the privilege of meeting, um, like they said, my name is Tim Shepard. I'm the student ministry pastor here. And I got this ugly looking thing on my left foot that I, I got to explain. So I'm sure some of you heard a couple weeks ago from Pastor Chase. I was at the gym on a Saturday morning. And usually on Saturday mornings, I play football because that's a lot more fun of a sport. But we had some friends in town who really wanted to play this really terrible sport called basketball. And I am by no means a great basketball player at all. My height should prove that. But in order to be a good, loving brother in Christ, I went to play. And so I show up and we play the first game and I'm feeling really good. We're halfway through the second game and I totally wish it was the story of like, hey, I was going up to like dunk the ball, even though you all know that would be a lie. I was like, I didn't even have the ball. I was outside like the three-point line. I was just running. I was just running. I took a step to the left and the next thing I know, I hear this massive pop. And I'm like, I feel this huge rush of pain in my ankle and I'm standing there and I'm about half court and there's a class behind me trying to like set up all their stations for like a workout class that they're about to do. And I'm convinced like the pop was so loud, somebody was just standing behind me and they threw like a free weight at my ankle. It hurt that bad. So I go to the ground and I turn around to see who hit me and nobody's standing there. And it took about three seconds to realize, oh my goodness. That noise came from inside my body. And so sure enough, I get loaded up in a car. I can't move my leg. They take us, take me to my brother-in-law's house, who's a physician's assistant. He grabs me by the leg and he goes, Tim, you have no Achilles right now. And I was like, what do you mean I have no Achilles? That's not possible. He's like, you have no Achilles in your leg right now. Two days later, I go to the doctor's office. Sure enough, from the base of my heel, I snapped my Achilles right off. And they put me in surgery right away. So I cannot walk without crutches for four more weeks. And it's already been two weeks since surgery. So hence the chair, the stool, the table to keep me stable here this evening. There's going to be a couple moments where I just want to stand up and get passionate because I like to preach with my body and I can't. So I need a favor from you. Speak back to me tonight. Does that sound good? All right, all right, come on. All right, this is what I want to do. I want to open up tonight with a little bit different. We're going to start a new series this evening, 
in the book of Judges. Everyone say Judges. Yes, this is a book in the Old Testament. Okay, you got the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then you have Joshua, and then you have Judges, okay? And I'm going to make the case, I think, that this is one of the most disturbing books of the Bible, like ever. Like anytime you're talking to somebody about your faith and they're like, doesn't it feel like God is different in the Old Testament than the New Testament? They'll be like, you're like, yeah, the book of Judges. That's where it seems to get really weird. And there's a lot of like different stuff that happens in this book. We hear a lot about like biblical heroes in this book and all this different kind of stuff, but we see a lot of things happen that we're gonna talk about over the next six weeks. But tonight, I wanna start out doing something a little bit different. So if you have a Bible and a notebook, I want you to pull it out right now. Bible and a notebook, pull it out right now. If you don't have a Bible and a notebook, you can pull out your phone right now. This is the only time I'll ever ask you to pull out your phone. I don't want you to go to your text messages. I don't, I don't want you to go to social media. I want you to go to like a notes section, okay? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you a question here. I'm gonna give you about a minute and a half to answer in silence. Now here's, here's my caveat. I don't want you to show what you are going to write or tell what you are going to write right here to anybody, not even your friend sitting next to you. I want you to keep it completely private, okay? This is the question that I have for you. If you've got a notebook, I want you to write it down. If you've got your phone, pull it out. If you don't have a notebook or a phone, I want you to think through your answers and I actually want you to visualize writing them down on a piece of paper in your mind, okay? So here's the question. What is it that you spend most of your time doing or thinking about? What is it that you spend most of your time doing or thinking about? And it can be a couple answers here. Maybe another way to say it is what is the area of your life that you feel like consumes your life? It consumes your thought life, it consumes your time, it consumes your energy. Maybe another way to ask the question or maybe another answer to this question could be like this. What do you love giving your time most to? Your thought life most to? I'm going to give you like 30 seconds. Write it down if you can. And then don't show anybody. If it's on your phone, then put your phone away. We're going to table it for later. If it's in your notes, you can keep that out. What is it you spend most of your time thinking about, meditating on, giving your energy towards all the above. Okay. If you don't have your answer yet, you can keep writing while I keep talking. I'm going to set the context for this book, okay? So we're in the Old Testament, okay? Old Testament, what has taken place up to this point, if you have a little bit of an idea of, of, of the biblical narrative or biblical story. We've had God's created the world, Adam and Eve. He's created everything, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, the land, the fish, the sea, the moon, the sun, the stars, all that wonderful stuff, and he's called it good. And then what we have take place in Genesis chapter 3 is we have Adam and Eve do the unthinkable. They rebel against the maker of the heavens and the earth. And so they enter into a world that we call here in church sin, a life separated from the presence and life 
of God himself. And so they are kicked out of this garden in which God has created them. And all of a sudden we kind of see all of creation kind of get affected by this rebellion. We begin to see that now that there's death, sin, disease, murder, brokenness. And then as you continue to walk through the Bible, you get through the patriarchs in scripture where God then says, okay, after, after he's looked at the earth, it's been pitiful. He decides, you know what? I'm going to restart. So he preserves a man named Noah and his family, floods the earth. Noah and his family are preserved. Then you go from Noah to a man named Abraham. And so then what God does is he says, I'm going to promise to send a savior through this man. And through this man, I'm going to create a nation. And this nation becomes known as the nation of Israel. And so then you have the heir of the patriarchs. You got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Jacob has all of these sons, one of which is Joseph. And, and Joseph is sold by his brothers into slavery. He goes to Egypt. But through God's faithfulness, he's rose in second in command in Egypt. And so all of a sudden, he's in control and a famine hits the land. And so his family, Jacob's household, who will become the nation of Israel, come to Egypt to find sanctuary there, and they live there for 400 years. And over time, Joseph pass, passes away, and Israel multiplies into a great nation that then becomes enslaved to Egypt. And so then Israel begins to cry out to God to be liberated from their oppressor, Egypt. And so God hears, and he uses his servant Moses. Are you with me so far? He takes his servant Moses to go back to Egypt, delivers his people, and they watch God do some incredible things. They watch God send some plagues upon Egypt, and then when they're finally delivered, they watch God deliver them through a sea. He literally parts the Red Sea. They walk through on dry ground, and they enter what we call the wilderness, and they begin to complain. And so God says, no, I'm not going to lead you into the promised land yet. You're going to stay here until this generation dies off. But in being in the wilderness, God provides day and night everything that they need. And so finally, in this time, they're given the law. They're given the Ten Commandments. Moses dies off, and we have Joshua take leadership now, and he takes them into the promised land. Now, there's a problem with this promised land. There are many forms of what the Bible says, giants and peoples living in the land that are in opposition to Israel. So this is where we come to hear about the Canaanites, the Philistines, the Amalekites, the Midianites, etc. And so they go, what are we going to do? Who are we? And God says, I will go before you. I will take care of them. I want you to annihilate and clear out all of the inhabitants of the land. I don't care how big they are. I don't care how great in number they are. Just trust me and I will go before you. And so we open the book of Judges with seeing Israel begin to do all of this. They're kicking out the people of the land. But you get to the end of chapter 1, and Israel just decides to settle. Israel decides to say, you know what, we're actually just going to let some tribes, some people live in the land. And this is where we're going to pick up in, in Judges chapter 2. I want you to track with me. I'm going to read the first five verses, explain, and then I'm going to give you ten more verses. And we're going to go from there. Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says this. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall break down their altars. Listen here. But you have not obeyed my voice. If you have your Bible, I want you to underline that. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? 
So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochum and they sacrificed there to the Lord. So what we have here is the angel of the Lord, God himself is going to confront Israel. And he says, look, I told you that it was your job to clear out all the inhabitants of the land and you decided not to obey my voice. What is this you have done? What is this you have done? And so he says, because you disobeyed me, this is what I'm going to do. I will no longer now drive out the inhabitants of the land, but the inhabitants of the land are gonna become a thorn in your flesh. They're gonna become a nuisance a pain to you. Now over the next five verses, what we have then the author saying is Joshua, the leader of Israel, passes away. He dies and not only does he die, but all the generation of the elders that live with Joshua as him being a godly leader died with him. And then this is where we pick up in verse 10. Listen here. It says, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, pay attention, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So now who we have living as the nation of Israel is a generation of people who don't know what God has done for them. They don't know that it was God who delivered their nation out of slavery. They do not know that it was their God who split the Red Sea. They do not know that it was their God who delivered them into the promised land. Then this is what it says, verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And they served the Baals, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. Verse 16, then the Lord raised up judges. Everyone say judges. Judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they prostituted after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And that was a lot. Lord, I pray that you would come right now. And you would speak to us through your word. We need to hear you. We need your voice, your life, 
your spirit to transform our lives. So I pray for every man, every woman in this room, first and foremost, God, that they would see you have them here on purpose because you see their life and you care for their soul. So Father, I pray that you would protect them from wherever I might be in error and most importantly, you would speak to us. That you would come, you would have your way, you would sanctify us, make us look a little bit more like Jesus tonight in your precious and holy name. Amen. All right, it's a lot of text. We see a a cycle that's gonna take place over the next six weeks, okay? We're gonna see that the people of Israel do what's evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord gives them over to their sin. They cry out, God saves them. The whole book of Judges can be summed up in this passage right here if we could put up uh, uh, Judges 17, verse six and 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I want you to look at that verse. I want you to pay attention to it. In this time, there was no king, there was no godly leader in Israel and every person did what was right in their own eyes. What we're about to see through this book in the next six weeks is a society going from bad to worse. And why is it that a society will go from bad to worse? Here's our reason. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Now it's easy for us to look at the Old Testament and go, man, like this makes plenty sense. That's really clear. We're going to watch Israel do this, case in point, over and over and over again. But before we start judging Israel, I want you to take a step back and ask, do you think this verse bears witness today in our culture and in our time? That we have a world and we have a society That when you take God out of the picture, remember at this point in Israel's history, God has given them the law. He has shown them, this is what it looks like to be my people. You want to live in a way where life will flourish and life will abound? Follow me. And you want to live in a way where life will be destructive? People will live in bitterness. Societies will turn against one another. Evil will thrive. Do what's right in your own eyes. Do what's right in your own eyes. Brothers and sisters, a society, hear me, a person's life will always go from bad to worse if we do what is right in our own eyes. How many of you are athletes in here? You play sports? Yeah, I used to be. Now I don't know more, okay? Now here's the thing. Yeah, tough tough if I were to if if I were to say okay let's go out and play a soccer game we're gonna play a student ministry soccer game we're we're all we're all gonna go out but here's how it's going to work if you are in 10th grade in this room you have no boundaries on the soccer field there is no out you can kick the ball wherever you want to go if you're a senior in this room you're allowed to use your hands but you only are allowed to use your hands. If you are a sixth grader in this room, you have to crawl the whole time. You have to crawl the whole time. And if you're in eighth grade, you have to be blindfolded for the entire game. Blindfolded for the entire game. And if you are a freshman in this room, you just do what you want. It all applies to you. Okay? All right? 
Now, can you imagine how frustrating this soccer game would be for every person, except for maybe seniors. They would have the time of their lives, right? Like, can you imagine what would happen if we played a game where everybody lived by their own rules? What, what, what would be the product? Chaos. There's no order. There is no winning. There is no lo losing. There is no growth. Nobody knows if they've actually achieved their goal because everybody's playing by a different set of rules. And this is what we see take place over and over again in the book of Judges. And I want to suggest to you, this is what we see take place still today. This is what happens when a society says, you know what, I'm going to live my own truth. I'm just going to simply do what's best for what I think is best for my life. And the product of that is a society, is a person, is a life that goes from bad to worse. Are you with me? But I want to talk to you about an attribute of God tonight that shows us God having a different plan. Tonight, I want to talk to you about how God is jealous. Everyone say, God is jealous. God is jealous. And I want you to hear that word and I want you to listen to it. Jealous is kind of a funky word that we use in our culture and society because it's something that we normally have a negative connotation attached to it, right? Normally when we think of jealousy, I am talking about the way you are behaving or the way I am behaving because we want something that does not belong to us. That does not belong to us. My neighbor comes home and they got a brand new car and I want their car. My wife's siblings come home and they got new babies and she wants their babies. Right? You walk into youth group on a Wednesday night and you got a good left foot Achilles and I want your Achilles. Right? Like when we talk about jealousy, we are talking about, hey, you have something. The world has something that I want that doesn't belong to me. And we can, can even take it to like the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Like don't want something that doesn't belong to you. Wholeheartedly agree with it. You shouldn't want something that belongs to you. But I want you to see, and I'm going to show you by the end of tonight, that when God is jealous, that's not the type of jealousy God has. Hear me. God never wants something that doesn't belong to him. God, yeah, come on. God never wants something that doesn't belong to him. And we kind of see this get put on display. So we kind of have two phases of judges that we're going to see over the next six weeks happen over and over again. We see, we see the nation of Israel being unfaithful. And the question that I want to ask is why are they unfaithful? Why have they gotten to the place in their life that they're actually going to ignore the voice of God, the presence of God in their life? And there's three reasons. I'm going to put them up right here. Three reasons, three roots for Israel's unfaithfulness. Number one, disobedience. Disobedience. I want you to see this in verse 1b slash 2. He says this, I said I will never break my covenant with you. This is God talking to Israel. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? You want to see the byproduct, the, the reality of unfaithfulness in one's life to the Lord. It's always going to begin with disobedience. 
always gonna begin with disobedience. Every time I'll sit with a young man or a young woman and they're telling me, they're wrestling through, what is God calling them to do with their life? I've sat with a young man and young woman who are, they're wanting to get married. They don't know if they should get married. They don't know if they should date. The first question I ask is, what's God leading you to do? They say, I don't know. Well, don't move until you know what God is leading you to do. Because what happens, what, what we end up happening is when we don't obey, when we don't listen and say, God, where are you calling us? You know what happens? We start to see a society that does what's right in their own eyes. Disobedience becomes a day-by-day -day routine. And when disobedience is present in your relationship with God, the only fruit that's going to come out of that root is unfaithfulness. But the second reason that we see unfaithfulness present with Israel is that there is no knowledge of God. Go back to verse 10. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. I want you to listen to me here. You're any person in this room except for leaders are in the age range of 11 to 19, okay? You are growing up as a generation who is exposed to more knowledge, more communication than any generation that has gone before you. And here's what we expect. Most people expect that you're going to come here on a Wednesday night and it is your job it is the church's job here. It's my job, Pastor Victor, Pastor Chase, Catherine, all the leaders who are to teach you what it's like to follow Jesus. And I'm not going to, like, there's a level to that that's right. But I'm going to talk to you as young men and young women. I want you to hear it as a junior high or high schooler. When you grow up, when you get married, and by God's grace, if you have a son or a daughter, hear me. It's your job. It's your God-given responsibility to teach the next generation, who your God is. What we see happen in Israel right here is we have a negligent generation that refused to teach their sons and daughters who God was. And what happened? You have a generation who's raised up who do not know who their God is. What happens when we don't know who our God is? Two months ago I talked, we, we had the, our series in the Trinity where we talked about God the Father. And how you have been created in the image of God. You and me. We are a Mago Dei. And we talked about how in order to understand God, in order to see God for who he is, helps us see ourselves for who we are. We're made in his image. You tracking with me? So to forget who God is, in essence, is to forget who we are. If to see God for who he is, is to see ourselves for who we truly are, to forget God for who he is, is to forget who we are in essence ourselves. And so what happens? You have a generation who's running around doing what's right in their own eyes. Are you with me? You can see it come after, after again. Number three, there's no godly authority. No godly authority in Israel. We have Joshua, a godly man, one who was obedient to the Lord, he dies off and there's no buddy to stand up and say, this is what God has called us to do. Again, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You wanna see why there's a problem when a society wants to debunk every form of authority in our life? 
You want to know why society can't thrive when just every person wants to do their own thing? It's because there's no order. There's no God-given authority for us to say, wait a minute. If I'm going to live my truth and you're going to live your truth, there's going to come a point in time where those truths can't coexist with one another. So then what happens? Chaos. What we see happen with Israel. They begin to forget the Lord and do their own thing. And so then we see this cycle take place. So we have the root of unfaithfulness. Now we have the cycle of unfaithfulness. I want you to put this up. We're going to see this happen seven, eight, nine times throughout the course of the book of Judges. You have Israel. And the the passage will begin like this. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. In other words, they sin. They disobey. They say, you know what, we are going to embrace the inhabitants of the land. And not only are we going to embrace them, instead of trusting our God, we are going to worship their God. And so what happens? Slavery. God gives them over to their sin. The Canaanites, the Amorites, the Amalekites, the Midianites, the Philistines, they come in, they take the people of Israel, they oppress them, and years will go by. And it will be when Israel hits the bottom of their sin, they become so desperate They can't eat. They have no food. They have no life. The generation's about to die off. They give their last stitch effort and they cry out to the Lord. They hit the point of sorrow. Sorrow. And over and over and over again throughout this book, we watch God do the same thing. He raises up a judge. And you might know these judges as Gideon. Samson, Deborah and Barak, Jael, Othniel, Ehud. We see, these, we see these like biblical figures who are like awesome. Like when we get to Samson at the end of this series, this dude like killed thousands of Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. It's cool, I know, right? It's cool. Like it's incredible. We, 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 have, we have Shagmar who, who kills like 600 like Canaanites with like, the ox, like, the, like an ox goad. And you're like, how is that even possible? Like they're incredible stories. And, and we were raised like thinking that these judges are awesome. And I'm here to suggest to you that as we read this book, what we are going to conclude and what we are going to find is that these people are not that awesome. But God continues to be faithful. And here's the question that I want to pose tonight. If this is the cycle throughout this book, over and over and over again, sin, slavery, sorrow, salvation, the people reject God. They disobey God. They, they're given over to their sin. And it's only when they hit the bottom of their sin that they cry out and God answers. This is the question that I want to ask you. Why do you think God continues to come back? Why do you think God continues to come back? Why do you think he continues to save them? By biblical definition, God would have every right to say, I gave you a chance. I gave you a second chance. I gave you a third chance. I gave you a fourth chance. It's time that I turn my back and I walk away because you're not going to change. What do you think keeps God coming back? 
There's a lot of biblical responses to this. A lot of people will say it's the love of God. It's God's love that keeps him coming back to save Israel. And I think that's biblically correct. But I want to give a different answer tonight. You know what that is? God keeps coming back because God is jealous. God is jealous. He's jealous. He's jealous. And again, he's not jealous for something that doesn't belong to him. It's not like, it's not like again, me looking at my neighbor. They get a new car and I want that car. You know, you, you, you know the only thing I can relate his jealousy to? My bride who's in this room, I've almost been married to her six years. And here's the thing. <laughs> you know, after five and a half years, I thought like, man, she, she loves me. And then I got injured. I'm like, well, she really loves me. <laughs> like, you don't, you don't know that you really love somebody until it's like you can't, like somebody loves you until you can't do anything. You can't even go to the bathroom and they're there for you. They see you in the good, the bad, the ugly. And you know what I love about being married to Mariah Grace Shepherd? Is that I get to tell the world she's my wife. Hubba. She's my wife, right? Like, like it is... It is, it is a husband's pride in any place to walk into a restaurant, to walk into church, to walk into a gas station, like to walk into the dollar store with your spouse. And you just, it's like, it's like your way of saying to the world, she's mine. She's mine. You see that, you see that rock on her left hand? I put that there. I put that there. And five and a half years ago on June 20th, 2015, she graced me with the response of taking on my name. She's Mariah Grace Shepherd. And I tell you what, I tell you what, there is like no bounds of anger that I would experience if I saw another man come and hit on my wife. You know why? Because she's my wife. She's my wife. She carries my name. She carries my name. By God's grace, she gonna carry my children. She gonna carry my children. Like, that is, that is the only way I can relate to say, okay, when I say God is jealous for you, I'm not just saying God has like a bad attitude towards something that's not his. When I say God is jealous, I mean, that he longs for what is his to have the absolute best in their lives. The absolute best in their lives. And so when we say that God is jealous for his people, this is what we are saying. We are saying that God understands that he is the greatest good in our lives. He understands it. It's kind of like if... It was my wife's birthday and she had asked for one gift for the past 10 years. And we got to her birthday and I gave her the gift that was not the gift she wanted after 10 years. At the end of the day, that wouldn't be the best gift that she wants, right? It's God understanding what is the greatest good that we ever need. And because he loves us, he offers 
himself. Track with me with that. What is the greatest, best, most satisfying thing you need in your life? God's answer to that question for your life is himself. Now that's hard for us to process because if we ever say that about ourselves, that's what we call pride. That's what we call pride. And you know why it's pride? Because it's not true. If I said that I was the best thing that ever happened to my wife, that would be a lie. But if God said he is the best thing that ever happened to my wife, that would be truth. It would be truth. And so here's what God does. Because he is jealous for us, he works his plan for two purposes. He works it for his glory and for our devotion to him. The question that I want to ask you here tonight is why does God want all of you? Why does he want all of your worship? Why does he not just want you on Wednesday night, not just you when you read your Bible, but he wants the type of son or daughter you are to your parents. He wants the type of brother or sister that you are to your siblings. He wants the type of student that you are in the classroom. He wants the type of man or woman that you could be at your school. He wants, to, he wants the type of athlete that you'll be on the field or on the court. Why does he want all of that? Why? Hear me. Because he's jealous for you. He's jealous for you. He wants you to, to experience and to know what satisfaction feels like, what peace feels like, what his presence feels like. Can I get the worship team to come up here? God is jealous. As we go over the next six weeks, you're going to see over and over and over again. God continue to save Israel when Israel does the same cycle over and over and over again. They sin, embrace slavery, they hit the point of sorrow, and God saves them. Why is it that God keeps raising up a judge? Why is it that God keeps saving? I want to suggest to you tonight it's because God is jealous. But it goes beyond that for you and me. Can we put that cycle back up there, the cycle of unfaithfulness? I want you to look at these four things. And I want you to realize, if you can grasp it now, that this isn't just the cycle for Israel in the book of Judges. That this is yours and mine day every day that we wake up and we fall short we disobey and every day we have moments where we choose our sin over a love relationship with God himself and every day and maybe it's not every day, but there's seasons of our life where we hit the bottom of the pit. Where we realize that our sin isn't going to satisfy us. You realize that your performance is not going to satisfy you. You realize that your friendships aren't going to satisfy you. You realize that your jealousy of the other girls 
of the other guys at school, their social media profiles, the life that they live, it won't satisfy you. You might still believe that it will now. You might believe if that you just had that relationship, it would fill the void in your life. You might just feel that if you had gained some weight or if you lost some weight, or if your face didn't look the way that it did, you would find that satisfaction. And over and over and over again, we're faced with these moments in life where we think, we buy that, that sweet temptation that this will make it all right. If I just have fill in the blank, it will make it all right. And we chase after it and God gives us over to it. And he knows that moment's coming where we realize whatever it was, it falls short. So we cry out to the Lord. And you know what God's response to us is? His response because of his jealousy is Jesus Christ. It wasn't just God's jealousy that rose up a judge time and time again. No, 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 no. It was God's jealousy that sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the cross. It was God's jealousy that sent a baby born of a virgin to be born. It was God's jealousy that had him raised up. It was God's jealousy that fed 5,000. It was God's jealousy that showed a Messiah who could walk on water. It was God's jealousy that pierced his head with a crown of thorns. It was God's jealousy that had his back and his torso and his arms and his legs mutilated 39 times over and over and over again. It was God's jealousy that put him on a tree. Why? Because he wants you, he wants me to receive the absolute best. And that's himself. That's himself. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to think back to the list or to the answer to that question that I gave you at the beginning of this service. What is it that consumes your time the most? Your thoughts the most? Your energy the most? What do you enjoy giving yourself to the most? And what I want you to either picture over it or if you have your journal opened up looking at that list, I just want you to write over it. God is jealous. Brothers and sisters, he wants all of you. He wants all of me here this evening. All of us. And so I think the invitation of this text tonight is to say, you know what? Lord, I want to give you everything. I want to give you everything for this reason and this reason alone. You know what's best for me. So I'm going to bring the lights down. We're going to, the worship team is going to take us back into a couple moments of worship here. And I just want you to fix your attention on the Lord and be present with Him. Be present with Him. As you think about those three simple little words, God is jealous. Thanks.